Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's that time of the year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. For new customers only when signing up and use the promo code NFL 100. Good morning, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the Patriots Press Pass and CLNS Media Network. I am Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth at 98.5. And Alex, the Patriots 0-1 going up against the 0-1 New York Jets. But if I'm the Patriots coaching staff, and I think based off of Bill Belichick's press conference on Wednesday, you could hear a quiet confidence about how familiar he is with the schemes that the Jets are running on both sides of the football. I'm salivating over this matchup a little bit. You got a rookie quarterback with the Jets. You got a depleted secondary on the defensive side of the football that plays a system that you know very, very well in that Seattle-style cover three. This is a game that the Patriots, in my mind, should win going away. Now, there are factors like a rookie quarterback and things like that on the Patriots side of things that maybe will prevent them from winning blowout games like this, like we've been used to seeing in the Brady era. But it definitely feels like, based off of Bill Belichick's comments on Wednesday and then watching Panthers-Jets, if I can figure out what the Jets are doing on both sides of the football, I this is going to be an absolute cakewalk for Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, right? Like if I can watch it and figure out, Oh, this is three, this is four. Uh, this is what they're doing on offense. This is how you confuse Zach Wilson. It, it feels like this should be a walk in the park for Bill. Yeah, it feels like it, right. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people have taken flack and, and I'm one of these people for kind of, you know, painting this golden light of a loss in week one. And I still think that's, that's valid. I think that right now it's about, you know, building up kind of this core and getting everybody on the same page and getting these younger players experience. I still believe that, that that's important, that there is some value in that week one loss. Uh, that all being said, yeah, if they lose to the Jets, you can come at me and tell me I was wrong and that this team's actually inherently flawed because they should beat this team. We, we were talking about this off the air the other day, Evan. How many good players do the Jets have? And by yeah. good, I mean are in the top half of the league at their position. I count one. I, I and and you you might even not be there. I like Quinnen Williams. I think Quinnen Williams is a really good player. I do. Yeah, he is. Um, I think you know he's kind of to me the picture of what Christian Barmore should be. Um, both happen to be Alabama guys, but outside of that, Corey Davis is good. He's not good. He's good. 
He's not a top 15 receiver, maybe a top 15, number two receiver. You know, Makai Becton's not bad, but he's not even going to be out there. I still think maybe they have something in Marcus May, but he certainly hasn't shown it. He's not top 15 safety, certainly not. So, or 16, whatever, halfway. I can't do math. It's too early. But my point is, this is a team that has one good player. Patriots have, you know, if we're going to use that same characteristic, how many good players do the Patriots have? Uh, a handful at least, right? I don't know. We could go through the list, but they sh- they should beat this team pretty good. Yeah, they, sh- they should beat this team. And the feeling that I get watching the Jets, hearing about the Jets, reading about the Jets this week is that Zach Wilson, and, and look, Mac Jones in a lot of ways has already taken over the Patriots locker room and offense and been a very, very uh, a presence, right, for the Patriots as well. But if the feeling is in New York, is that Zach Wilson is arguably already their best player, right? Whereas with Mac Jones, he's getting dropped in to a veteran offense with a veteran defense, with a veteran head coach. In New York, this is what we typically see out of first-round quarterbacks, right? You're going to a new regime. You're the number two overall pick. You're already arguably a top three to five player on your roster, And it's a much more difficult situation that Zach Wilson is walking into than what Mac Jones has walked into here in New England. And you watch Zach Wilson on tape and you see the flashes. And Belichick talked about it at his press conference. And I want to get to the defensive side of the ball second. But the one thing I wanted to say about Wilson is Belichick mentioned the live arm. Right. This guy, he's got a cannon. Can make all the throws. Right. Shout out Andrew Callahan. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Right. And he can make all the throws. He's great at throwing on the move or creating plays out of structure. That touchdown pass to Corey Davis last week against the Panthers. The play breaks down. There's nobody open initially. He rolls out to his right and finds Davis on a line on a 22 yard touchdown in the back of the end zone. Those are the types of plays that he can make. And if you let him run around all game long, especially get out of the pocket to his right, to his arm side, and then sling the football down the field from there, then he's somebody that can hurt you with the long ball, right? And this is we knew this when they drafted him. But the issue that I see with Zach Wilson, and I think this is what Bill Belichick was alluding to when he didn't credit him for accuracy and decision-making and processing speed and those types of things – are the dude just is allergic to the layups, right? He hates the layups. Right. He will he will try to push the football down the field at all costs. And he averaged 10, uh, 10.6 air yards per attempt, right, in that right. game against Carolina. So that's second in the league only to Russell Wilson. So he is trying to push this football down the field and – so many times in that game against Carolina, you see an open under route or an open slant or an open check down or an open player eight yards down the field. And there's Zach Wilson rolling out of the pocket to his right and slinging a ball 50 yards down the field instead of just taking what's right in front of him or taking a sack because there's nothing down, open down the field. And he's trying to hit the big ball, the big long ball, and he takes a sack. He took six of those in the game against Carolina. Yeah, he's not consistent. And I was on with, with Adam Jones last night, and, and we all know how he feels about Mac Jones' start. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of pressing me, well, you know, what's the difference between Mac and, and, and Zach Wilson? Zach Wilson had a bad turnover. Mac came very close to having a bad turnover on that first play. Zach Wilson lost, Mac lost. 
the difference is, and this is why I don't buy Zach Wilson, what he does isn't consistent. It's not sustainable. Mac completed, what was it, 74% of his passes, right? right. Zach Wilson completed 54%. Right. And you mentioned the layups. He's just, you know, eventually teams are going to learn to just sit back, take away everything deep, and force him to, to you know, nickel and dime his way down the field. I'll, I'll go back to a comp I've been making since the draft, Dev. He reminds me of Johnny Manziel, Zachy football down there in New York, where he's going to run around a dipsy do and look at him like sprint away from defensive linemen. He's twice as fast as, you right. know, and, and not set his feet and still throw the ball 50 yards. And that's all great. Three-step drop, quick slant, timing pattern. He can't do it. And yeah. the NFL's built on that. You can survive. I, I, you can survive. I almost swore. You could survive on that Mickey Mouse crap in college, especially at BYU. <laughs> Let's not forget he lost right. Coastal, okay? Yeah. You could survive on that Mickey Mouse crap in college. You can't survive on that Mickey Mouse crap in the NFL unless you're Patrick Mahomes, who he's not Patrick Mahomes. And even Mahomes. Mahomes can hit the three-step boom slant. That's what, you know, when he went to that second year and he really elevated, that's what he added. So you can do all that, you know, dipsy do BS but you better be able to supplement it with just textbook fundamentals. That's what Zach Wilson can't do. And I'm not saying he'll never learn how to do it, but right now you just, it's so hard to pick him. It's so hard to say, yeah, I'm confident in this guy because he can't do the basics. He can run, but he can't walk. It's, it's an interesting comparison that you bring up Patrick Mahomes because a lot of people have brought up Mormon Mahomes, right, is what they were calling him. Yeah, he's more like Mormon Johnny Manziel, which is right. an interesting. Concept I think he's in better. Than, I think he's better than Johnny. But regardless, I, uh, but he doesn't he kind of look like Johnny. Don't you kind of see Johnny in his? I, game I a see bit? the I see the headband, the 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 kind of swagger being similar to somebody like Johnny Football. I think he's a, a better. Regardless, that the Mormon Mahomes comparison came up. And you'll see it on Sunday, or or if you watch the game a little bit against Carolina to study up on the Jets, he's got an absolute cannon, right? He can throw the ball a mile. That's what uh, I think it was Adrian Phillips said that uh, on Wednesday. He said he this guy can throw the ball a mile, and there's no doubt about that. And Mahomes, early on in his career, like you said, and even at times I would say now, has trouble taking the check down. Right. He would much rather run around and scramble and buy himself time and try to see if Tyree Kill opens up down the field instead of just dinking and dunking down the field. And he has gotten into trouble, especially in big games in the playoffs last year in the Super Bowl of just not wanting to take the five yard pass. Right. And that's what the defense is going to give you sometimes. And if I'm Bill Belichick and the Patriots, that's how I'm scheming it up against Wilson this week is he's not going to throw the slant, right? He, he's not going to throw the, the five-yard drag or the under route. He's going to try to push the football down the field. So let's play into that. And the one way that you definitely see on tape that Carolina played into it was pre-snap. They give him single high in a one-on-one matchup on the outside, and they basically bait him into throwing the deep ball, right? They say, oh, look, over here, you got a, you got one-on-one on the outside. This is what you want, Zach Wilson, right? Like, this is the matchup you want to attack. The ball is snapped. They put a corner over there. He got he has good coverage. Wilson doesn't want to come off of it, and he misses a wide-open five-yard slant to try to throw a 50-yard touchdown, right? And, and, and that's what we saw at BYU, and that's what we consistently see out of Zach Wilson and uh, New York so far as well. And as you can probably tell for the people watching, uh, Alex and I not exactly big believers in the Zach Wilson 
hype, but definitely an athletic kid, definitely has a big arm. That's exactly what Bill Belichick said. A, a more gifted Baker Mayfield in the chat, maybe. Maybe. I mean, he's more, more more gifted than Baker. Are we sure about that? So I don't think he's as accurate as Baker. That's for sure. Right? I think Baker wow. can put it on a dime better than he Zach. He's as accurate Wilson. as anybody? <laughs> I think he can put it on a dime like, like better than Zach Wilson, but I think he's maybe a little bit more athletic than Baker Mayfield is. Ba- Baker can move, but I think Wilson's a little bit more fleet of foot than somebody like Baker. But I, I, I would take the accuracy that Baker brings to the table over being a little bit more athletic. Yeah, right? who, did we, who did we have this conversation about? It was either at the end of last year during the draft that – you know, everybody gets excited about these quarterbacks who can do all, all the intangibles. They can run around. They can throw non-looking. They can throw without setting their feet, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's all exciting. And if you have a quarterback who can do all that, great. But if that guy can't hit a five-yard in route with his feet set, it doesn't matter. And people, there seems to be this, you know, excitement for these guys who can do all the untraditional stuff, who can't do the basics. And that's just, you know if you can't do the basics, it doesn't matter. And I think Zach Wilson's the perfect example of that. We're all getting caught up in the exciting plays, but yeah. at a certain point, the basics are the basics for a reason. And that's why when I was ranking these quarterbacks in the draft, and I, I think you took a similar approach, Alex, when we were doing the all the draft talk with the QBs, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, those guys ranked higher to me than Zach Wilson did. And I was at least in the minority compared to what the NFL was grading those guys at, because a lot of people in the NFL had it the way the Jets had it, right? Lawrence won, Wilson too. But when you watch those guys in terms of consistency, in terms of taking what was there from the defense and so on and so forth, Wilson has just been this style of play since his one year of starting at BYU, full year, I should say, just, he wants to throw the deep ball. That, that's all he wants to do. And you see it all over tape in college, all over tape with the Jets, that the short stuff is open. Now, can he develop in that regard and learn? Sure. Uh, obviously. Like, right. This is not this is not a quarterback that has a weak arm and can't make a, ha- a far hash throw and there's concerns about him being able to push the ball down the field. So in theory, he can develop the mental side of it to get to those checkdowns faster or trust that he's going to be able to get down the field that way, right? Uh, right. In theory. So he can develop just like any young player. But right now, the Patriots are playing this Zach Wilson, right? They're not playing the Zach Wilson three years from now that develops and learns how to take check down. So it's going to be an interesting uh, game, certainly. We're going to get to a little bit later on in the show exactly how the Patriots are going to confuse, attack Zach Wilson. But first, we got to shout out our friends at Legends Brand. Alex, when I say the name Willie McGinnis, what word comes to mind? Do I have to give a word or a moment? Because him telling the Steelers fans to change their reservations after the 2001 AFC Championship. I know I'm supposed to say Legends, but each week I'm just going to pull up a different Willie McGinnis moment. (laughs) I think that's a better approach. Well, is defense champion legend all of those things are qualify for number 55 William McGinnis right and we can now add entrepreneur to the list because number 55 is one of several athletes who are investors and owners in the athletic apparel brand legends that's right Willie along with guys like Steve Nash Baker Mayfield who we we're just talking about Matt Barnes 
uh, Marcus Morris Sr., and even entertainment icon Quavo are just a few of the names building Legends into the hottest apparel brand in the market. Visit Legends.com today to shop the latest trends in athletic apparel from shorts, tees, hoodies, and more. And save 20% when you use our code PATS20. That's Legends.com and promo code PATS20. That offer ends on October 10th. And Alex, I have worn the sweatshirt a couple of times now that Legends uh, so nicely gave to us. And uh, a couple of times to walk Atlas in the mornings. It's a very comfortable sweatshirt. And uh, I appreciate that from Legends. And we do as well. I'm sure you've worn your stuff a few times. The sweatshirt, like I I know I'm supposed to say it's all great. And it's all great. The sweatshirt far and away is the best. It's so comfortable. Like that's 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 it's it. i i'm guy who appreciates a good sweatshirt that is a good sweatshirt <laughs> me as well legends.com pats 20 is the code 20 percent off go get yourself one of those sweatshirts because it's uh they're very very comfortable all right Let, let's talk about the patriots offense going up against this jets defense here a little bit i want to talk about the running back situation offensive line situation too but the first thing i want to do is talk some scheme and belichick said it on wednesday This is a Seattle-style cover three system that the New York Jets are running. Robert Sala basically taking the defense he ran in San Francisco, bringing it to the East Coast, and dropping it in the Meadowlands, right? It's the same exact system that they've seen in Seattle over the years, with San Francisco over the years, and a lot of other teams that have tried to emulate this Seattle three defense. Now, the problem that I see for the Jets is one of the reasons why the Legion of Boom was able to execute such a simple system was because they were the Legion of Boom, right? They had Richard Sherman, they had Earl Thomas, they had Cam Chancellor, they had real playmakers in the back end. This is not a complex system. This is not a confusing Brian Flores type type of defense. You pretty much know what you're going to get, and they really count on great execution and great continuity in the back end to be able to put all of the pieces together. The Jets team is not there yet, right? They have a lot of holes in this secondary before they are going to be able to run this system as cleanly as it needs to be run. I mean, this this is an extreme rebuild. I I was talking to uh, Nicole Yang of, of the Boston Globe about this the other day, and we kind of almost looked at it like where the Celtics were a few years back, where they were so bad that they were able to get a top, whatever it was, five pick, three pick, and then still get another one the next year, you know, because they were just so, the Jets are so far away. They really had to tear the thing down from the beginning, even with all their high picks. They just still don't have the talent. They didn't choose to sign anybody in free agency, which was an interesting decision. Oh, I guess they did. Corey Davis is okay. Well, they signed people. But... They signed people at other positions. <laughs> they didn't right. sign a corner or a safe a top safety. They did re-sign Marcus May, who's a solid player for them in the back and probably their best defensive back. But he's a a center fielder, right? He he's not right. somebody right. that's going to come down and and play aggressive yes. coverage. So, so what my what my point was because yeah. I know we were just talking about the defense, right? Is that you know it's not like they had an off season where they could say, all right. It's time to improve the secondary. All right. It's time to improve the linebacker. Yeah. All right. It's time to improve the receiver. Right. They just, they couldn't fix it all at once. So they seem to focus on the wide receiver. They, you know, they did the offensive line last year. They did the skill positions this year. And then Carl yeah. Lawson, they just, it's almost like they're making their way. If you picture like, you know, just visualize like two, four, eight, like, like offensive defense lined up against each other. They started at the back and shocking with the quarterback. 
They're making their way forward. They're now at the line of scrimmage. So now they're going to go up and start doing the defensive line. Like it feels like that's how they're doing it. So right. in case the secondary is going to be last, but yeah, they, you know, they had a bad secondary last year and they just didn't have the resources to add to it this year. Yeah. And assuming that they're going to probably have another top 10 pick in next year's draft, I think is right. probably pretty safe. And if I'm there, uh, was it Joe Douglas, right? And, uh, and Robert Sala investing in the secondary, especially trying to get a number one corner has Derek to be, LSU has to be their top priority. Right. And I, I, if I'm a Jets fan, what I'm concerned about is that this brass is going to be so caught up in making Zach Wilson work that they're going to draft Chris Olave. Uh, I, I, right. A receiver. Yes. And even though they paid Corey Davis and drafted Elijah Moore 34th overall with one of the top picks of the second round, I still feel like they're going to go back to the well one more time. Ah, uh, yes. And, the, and old wide receiver. Early, the old early 2000s Detroit Lions strategy. Top two pick, wide receiver. Next year, top two pick, what do we need? Wide receiver. One more time, wide receiver. Granted, they got Calvin Johnson. But one for three, when you're picking the top five three years in a row, ugh, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, so the Jets seem like a team that, again, are going to be so focused on making Zach Wilson work that they are going to draft another offensive skill player to help Zach Wilson out and forget about this secondary. But I want to pull Please let them draft B. John Robinson. Sorry, continue. I want to pull up this to running back, by the way, because this is this is the Seattle style cover three system that everybody talks about. Right. And, And this is what Bill Belichick was talking about on uh wednesday so this is typical spot drop cover three for the most part you have the three deep players here you're gonna have four guys underneath the defense there but the player that i want to circle is this linebacker right here that's the weak hook player and that's the player that in this system gets attacked all the time and we hear about this on broadcast and stuff like that as well and that is this number two receiver from the strong side of the formation to the weak side of the formation running some sort of deep over, right? Can I just cut in real quick? Yeah. So you talk about, and maybe you're going to get to this, but you talk about that linebacker in that set and it gets attacked a lot. That is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. That's that Bobby Wagner and the, the Seattle. That would be Bobby Wagner in San Francisco. That would be Fred Warner. Who's obviously a heck of a football player as well. I actually, I I love Fred Warner. I'm a big Warner guy. Uh, they don't, the Jets don't have Bobby Wagner, Fred Werner. Let's just no. So the name of the player that the Jets are using in this spot is Delshawn Phillips, who I had not heard of until I pulled up the, our <laughs> lad depth chart. Can you spell that so I can Google it? Yeah, Del, D-E-L hyphen or whatever that, what's that thing called? A- apostrophe, whatever. Uh, S- yeah. S-H-A-N-W. I got him. I, I got him. Yes. No. So what they're going to do, and this is why I think the Patriots are going to see this play and, and really like it, is the Panthers are under center 12 personnel right now, right? This is a tight end here, and this is a tight end there. So what this tight end is going to do is he is going to run a deep over, and he is going to get into a foot race with Mr. Delshawn Phillips, right? Now, on the one hand, the deep player, the shot play that you can produce out of this look is getting Johnny Smith or Nelson Aguilar or somebody that can run against a weak side linebacker in basically match coverage, right? And if you go back, Alex, to 
the national championship game. Okay. I should have pulled this play up too to, to show the comparison. Mac Jones hit this exact play for a touchdown to Devontae Smith against Ohio State in the national championship game. Cover three Mabel, backside uh, over route, exact same play. So on this play, what I want to show you is actually what it presents underneath the defense because of the fact that Delshawn Phillips has to match this over route by the tight end. So as we roll the play, you see there comes the tight end crosser, right? Here he comes. He's crossing over the field. And here's Delshawn Phillips. He's going to have to match this in this system. That's his job is to match number two or number three vertical from the strong side. So he matches that and then look at all of this space underneath the defense here for Christian McCaffrey. So they have two choices if you're the Jets. If the Patriots flood this zone, which is what they do here, this weak hook zone, they can either carry the vertical route and make sure they don't give up the big play and give up the underneath stuff or vice versa, right? You can't be in both places at once. So in this play, they are able to match the the over route by the tight end. They're able to take away the big play. But look at how many yards Christian McCaffrey is going to gain on this play underneath the defense, right? I mean, that's, a think, a 14 or 15-yard gain. So that is the matchup, right? That's the way that you can attack this Seattle-style cover three. And I am sure that the Patriots are looking at this tape from Carolina and are saying, we need to get Nelson Aguilar or Jonu Smith in that number two spot and have him run that exact same route. And hopefully one of those guys beats Delshawn Phillips in that foot race for a big play. And if he doesn't, then we're just going to check it down to Damian Harris and James White all game and gain 11 yards on check downs because that weak hook player is out of position, right? So that that's a Seattle-style cover three. To be honest with you, I am shocked that a lot of these teams continue to run this system because the book is out on the system. And the only way that you're going to be able to run it at a high level is if you have the personnel that Seattle or San Francisco had in their Super Bowl run, right? You just can't. Right. That That's why I, I brought up Bobby Wagner earlier. To, to Yeah, you, you just can't. You can't make this system work without really good talent in the back end, in that back seven. And if you don't have it, it there's a lot of open holes and a lot of opportunities for the Patriots in this game. Do you want that uh, that touchdown? I found it. Okay. The All national right. championship one. Is this it? This is it. So okay. th- this is the same coverage, right? So right. I, I forget who's this linebacker. It's 30, 32. It's, not, it's not my boy Pete Warner. It's their other. Uh, it was uh, began with a B. I, I I'll, I'll, I'll find it. Just keep talking. Yeah, he, he was also in the draft this year. So here's uh, Devontae Smith, number three. Right in the slot tough right Borland. here. Right, yeah, Tough Borland. Yes, Here's Devonta Smith. <laughs> yeah, Tough Borland in the foot race with Devonta Smith. It turned out exactly. So as you roll this play, you're going to see that Tough Borland is going to have to match Devonta Smith vertical in this cover three scheme. And there's just no way that he's going to be able to win this foot race. So there you go. He ha- he's got to match vertical right, right there. Yeah. And Devonta Smith just runs right by him. And Mac puts it on him for a 50, 60 yard touchdown. So that's the matchup, right? That's the play that the Patriots are are going to try to run. I'm sure. And like I said, whether Nelson Aguilar burns Delshawn Phillips, just like uh, 
you know, Desha- uh, Devontae Smith did there with tough Borland, or they get that underneath check down to the running back. Either way, it's going to be an easy read for Mac Jones, and, and they're going to be able to pick up some good yardage on it. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got nothing to add. He covered it. I'm just glad I could find that play in time that worked out. Yeah, well. that was good. That was good teamwork right there. All right. Um, what about the Patriots backfield, Alex? Because obviously Damian Harris is not going in the doghouse, right? They don't have a choice. No but to play Damian Harris. But I want to talk about Ramondre Stevenson versus J.J. Taylor. And do we think that Ramondre Stevenson is going to get a long leash here? Or are the Patriots going to put him in the doghouse for fumbling and failing to get run over by Alandon Roberts and all that kind of stuff that those little things that we talked about, you and I, not to take a victory lap, we said Ramondre Stevenson might not be ready, Right. Right. And here we are. So do we feel like Ramondre Stevenson gets a second stab at it this week? No, I think he's a healthy scratch. I think they go to JJ Taylor and this is where, and I said it at the time, you know, boy, it would help to have Sony Michelle right now. And ultimately they got a good return for him, but you know, they're just, the, the, I thought the running back depth was always a little overrated throughout camp just because the, the way they use their running backs, right. Damian Harris was never going to be a bell cow. So yeah, yeah I think you see Ramondre Stevenson, as a healthy scratch, I think you see JJ Taylor in the game and, you know, as much as it is about the fumble itself, it's that, and and you heard people say this, the Patriots coach, their running backs that they're handing the ball to the ref to end the play. Like, as in you're making sure that the ref knows you didn't fumble Stevenson. He thinks he's down, lets the ball go, gets up, walks away while the dolphins are recovering it. That as much as the fumble itself doesn't help him. And then, yeah, the, the pass pro, he just, he has to be better in pass pro. And he got, like you said, blown up by Landon Roberts. That's not really something you can simulate in practice. It was a real welcome to the NFL moment. He right. just didn't look ready. I'd be surprised if he plays again. I think he's the healthy scratch. I think JJ Taylor's out there. They also didn't look good returning kicks uh, last week, which kind of factors into this too, because JJ Taylor can return kicks. So I think that this is a week that, that JJ Taylor is is on the roster, is on the game day roster. A part of you feels like they almost have to give Ramondre Stevenson a second chance because they trade Sonny Mitchell. Maybe not right away, but maybe this is the game because if they get up big in the fourth quarter of this game, they can give him some confidence carries, right? Some carries at the end of this game up two touchdowns that maybe can grow his confidence a little bit that he's not going to fumble when he touches the football. But they need Ramondre Stevenson or J.J. Taylor. One of those guys needs to emerge out of this backfield and be a a two to Damian Harris's one, right? They they need that guy to back up Harris. Harris cannot carry the ball 350 times this year. It's just not going to work, right? And you have that extra game this year, remember, too. So he's got 17 games now to get through this schedule and Damian Harris carried the football 23 times, or is it 22? 23 or 22 times on, uh, it was 23. 23 times against Miami. And you, that, I don't think that that's the way that this Patriots team wants to continue in that backfield. They, they want to spell him a little bit. So whether they let JJ Taylor get in there and see if he's more consistent or reliable, than Ramondre Stevenson this week, or they keep Ramondre Stevenson up and maybe give him some carries later in the game. If hopefully the Patriots get up by a few scores, whatever the case may be, they need one of those two guys to develop into the backup 
that they need them to be behind Damian Harris, or we're going to see a whole lot of Brandon Bolden this season, right? I mean, that's right. that's where this is headed, and I don't know if we want that. Yeah, I mean, we saw him late in that game, and you don't want to see him a ton, but they need that they need that second back, right? They, yeah, like you said, Damian, and they've never, you know, no early down back has played more than fifty percent of the snaps in a season since Legarrette Blunt. So it's just this is the way they operate. And I, I don't see them, you know, I, I really like Damon Harris. I do fumble aside. He's a great player. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm not giving him the ball 65, 70% of the time. I just, for any running back in the league outside of Derrick Henry, that's probably it. I think that's ridiculous to give a, a yeah. single running back that many carries. You're just asking for that guy to have a two or three year career. Yeah. And you're just asking for that guy to, to have some, some mistakes. Right. I mean, it's just a lot. It's a large sample size. We already saw him fumble once. And I think that there was something to it at the end of that game against Miami. He did seem a little bit gassed. Right. And then on his very last carry is the fumble. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with, with these two running backs, Ramondre and JJ Taylor. And if they, Ramondre was up last week and didn't play particularly well. So now you bring JJ up this week and see if he's better. Or you give Ramondre a longer leash. I mean, they have to. One of these guys has to work out for them this year. It's that right. simple. You're 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 in the school of thought that JJ Taylor is going to get the nod this week and he's going to get a chance to to show what he can do. And, and if not, you know, who's left in free agency? The Ravens signed everybody. Yeah. You know? So they, yeah, they they kind of. I, I their depth was fine when they made the Sony trade, assuming that everybody stayed healthy and played. Right. If Ramondre's not going to be an option, it, it gets tougher. Yeah. The, I'm sure there are some running backs still on in the free agency scrap heap. You know, they're always one right name running back that that's kicking around. that doesn't have a team yet that can be signed. So maybe they'll have to go that route. Moving over to the offensive line. And also, I, I I agree with you, Alex. That I, I do think that JJ Taylor is going to be active in this game. Ooh, and Adrian Peterson still unsigned. That would be, I've always wanted to see Adrian Peterson here. I'm just a fan of his. It would be cool. he was he was really good last year. Still, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised he's unsigned. Maybe unsigned just because he's Adrian Peterson, and that's bringing in actually oh, and, a, and, and a big time we, name. We're not saying that the Patriots need to go out and sign a running back right now, but just having fun with this. You know what, running back Bill Belichick loves who I believe is still a free agent. Oh, no. And I say that as in, I know he's not signed. I just don't know if he retired. Who Frank is it? Gore. Frank uh, Gore. Bill Belichick loves him some Frank Gore. I'd rather Adrian Peterson. I would too, but Bill Belichick. Adrian him. Peterson running behind this offensive line with the pulling guard on a power play. I mean, Adrian Peterson can still bring it from a power standpoint, right? He's not the athlete in the, in space that he used to be, obviously, but from a downhill running standpoint, he can definitely, uh, you know, he's still a very good player in that for regard. What, for what it's worth, if we're going to be ridiculous here, because again, we're being ridiculous. It's one week into the season. We don't know that they're going to need to do this. We're just having some fun. Right. They do only have 52 players on the roster right now. Yeah. So they do need, you know, there is one, and maybe they'll just sign Brian Hoyer and make him the backup concrete, but. Right. Uh, they never they never added anybody after IRing Malcolm Perry last week. So there we go. Anyway, a little bit of fun. Love it. Okay. Offensive line. We were out at practice uh, yesterday and saw Yasir Durant repping at right tackle with the starting offensive line. We've talked about continuity and things like that in the past, I think. 
where the Patriots would rather just plug in one guy into his spot than displace the rest of the offensive line, right? So instead of moving on one who outside to right tackle and sliding Ted Karras into the starting lineup at left guard, you keep the other four guys in their natural spots and you just insert one Yasir Durant in at right tackle. I can understand it, especially when you figure Trent Brown's injury is not long-term, right? He's probably going to miss this game on Sunday, but it doesn't sound like something that's going to hold him out for two months or season ending or anything like that. So if this was a season ending injury to Trent Brown, I think we would see Michael Onwenu moving outside, but because Michael Onwenu's home is going to be at left guard in the long term this season and probably the long term of his career, getting those reps next to Isaiah Wynn and David Andrews are more important in the long term and for the outlook of the entire season than just having the best five guys on the field against the Jets on Sunday. Yeah, I just, is Durant, why is Durant the guy? And you probably looked closer than me how he played at the end of the game against Miami when he came in, but I mean, where's, why am I, uh, Yadni Kajus? Like, I guess he's on the injury report, but. Yeah, he's hurt. Is Durant just a process of elimination here? Well, Justin Huron did not play well. He didn't. He got really did not play well. Holding called two hurries allowed in pass protection in 15 to 20 snaps, right? For an offensive lineman, you give up three negative plays and 15 snaps of work. That's not very good, right? I mean, that, that, right. that that's not good. So when he came into the game, Yasir Durant did not give up a pressure in pass protection. So he was pretty solid in pass pro. The issue, of course with Trent Brown going out is you don't have nobody is going to replace Trent Brown's run blocking ability, right? You're, there's not a whole lot of guys on the planet earth that are 360 pounds and move as well as Trent Brown does. And can, can run block it. Michael on when Michael on when Yeah. He's not six foot eight, but sure. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Well, he's and, 350 and he can move. Michael Onwenu. So the Patriots have two of maybe the 10 guys on planet Earth that can move well at that size, right? So right. replacing Trent Brown's power in the run game and power at the point of attack as a run blocker was going to be impossible. So Yasir Durant does not bring that element of it to the table, which definitely was a factor later in that game. They weren't able to run the ball with much effectiveness compared to what they did early when Trent Brown was out there. So that's definitely a factor. But in terms of pass pro, he was pretty clean. And most of the issues that the Patriots had once they put Durant in the lineup and pass pro were actually on the left side. It was between Onwenu and Win, passing off stunts and things like that. That became a problem. So I, I think Durant was fine. But again, they're going to have to run power the other way, right? They wanted to run power with Shaq Mason and Trent Brown on the double team and Michael on when pulling through, right? That's the way that they wanted to run their power and counter schemes. Now you're probably going to have to double team with win on and on Wenu and pull Mason through uh, the other direction because I don't think Yasir Durant is going to be somebody that's going to push a lot of guys off the line of scrimmage. At least not right now. He's a rookie. So once you get him into that NFL strength and conditioning program, it it might change in a couple of years. I mean, I'm looking at this right now. 6'6", 330. He is in his second year. He did play a little for the Chiefs last year. So he should be able to bully a little bit. 
330 is not small. It's not Trent Brown. It's not small. It's just not. I didn't see the play strength from him at a high level. And maybe that is just your eyes going from the drop off of Trent Brown to anybody else. Right. I mean, especially with what we saw in that first run, Damon Harris's 35 yard run, Shaq Mason and Trent Brown. I mean, that was just all beef. Yeah. Just turned their two guys out immediately. And it's a huge hole for Damian Harris. It's hard to replicate that, but Durant I thought was solid. And if this is a one to two week injury for Trent Brown, I I think that they can get away with Durant and maybe even Justin Haran. Maybe those two guys remember, was it last year, the beginning of the year that Illuminor and Onwenu split duties to a degree at right tackle. I I could see that happening with Haran and Durant to keep both those guys fresh and not put too much on either one of their plates. Well, I mean, I, you know, just thinking about it here, you mentioned that first run that was, they put both tight ends on that side, like in line and ran behind that. Did they go back to that? Look, I don't remember seeing them run that again. If they did, they didn't do it a ton. Maybe they go back to that to make up for it. And just, I, I think the jets lack talent enough where you can almost kind of telegraph that and say, all right, we got our, we got Shaq Mason. We got our 330 pound right tackle. We got two tight ends over here. We're running yeah. behind them. Try and stop it. I almost feel yeah. like that's the way to go. Cause I, even if the jets know that's coming, unless they, you know, bump Quinn Wilson out where he's on the outside shoulder of the guard. I don't know that they have the personnel to stop that. Yeah. I mean, that's really the only place that they have to avoid running the footballs right at Quinn and Williams. Right. I mean, right. everywhere else, it seems pretty vulnerable for the jets. I, I hope that they don't, Try to just run smash mouths because there should be plays in the passing game that will. I'm not saying that that's the only play they have to run, but I'm saying like that. I I think in week one against Miami, they fell a little bit into a trap of, oh, we have these two tight ends that can block. We're going to put these two guys out at the end of the line and just run behind a four man wall, right? And and that in theory is makes sense because you have you have four guys wide there that you can create a wall with, meaning four from center, right? So you have on when you win. Johnny Hunter Henry, let's say, or on the other side, Mason, you know, Brown, Johnny Hunter Henry. And that is a really, that four man wall is very, can be very effective, but it didn't move the Dolphins front, especially after Trent Brown left the game in the way that they necessarily thought it would. Now, just really quickly, they ran the ball 27 times on first and second down, and they ran 16 third downs in that game against Miami. If I'm the Patriots, you you cannot get into third down 16 times. I don't care what defense you're going up against in the NFL. That's just not if you're if you're in third down 16 times, it's because you're not a good first and second down offense, right? That that's a right. that's a first and second down problem. That's a, not a third down problem, and that also comes to the play calling and the and the lack of aggressiveness to a degree from Josh McDaniels. So. They they need to be more aggressive on offense. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't run the football, but they definitely need to be more aggressive on offense. Well, I, you know, it's interesting, and I, I feel like this applied to both sides of the ball. They were really good on third downs against Miami. 11-16 yeah, on offense. Miami was 4 of 11. They struggled on first and second downs. It, you know, defensively, that first drive Miami went on, they didn't they didn't face a third – they faced one third down. Yeah, It was mostly first and second downs. And then offensively, like you just mentioned, they're getting into the, you know, so many third down situations. So I, I, I almost feel like maybe what you're saying is a bit strong. If they know that they can pick up first downs regularly, but it's going to take three plays to do it. 
if you're moving the chains, you're moving the chains. It doesn't really matter how you're doing it. So I know you're problem, rolling your eyes at that. Because the league average for third downs is re- always right around 45, 50%. So you're not going to go 11 for 16 every single but week. But what if, what if they down. know they can? What if they're really confident okay, in their three- to four-yard passing plays? What, what if what they're ha- super confident? And, and maybe they are. And, and and if they can go 11 for 16 every single week, then it's fine. But look at the end of that game against Miami. They get the third and four down in the red area, and they roll the pocket out, and the ball falls incomplete. It goes off Jacoby Myers' hands. The throw was a little bit in front of him, maybe from Mac Jones, and he can't go down and catch the football. And here Nick Folk is trotting on the field to attempt a field goal. The problem is, is that when you get down in the red area and you get yourself into third down and you're in a condensed area and you have to go to the air there, those are what Mike Lombardi calls four-point plays, right? Because if you don't convert on third down there, you're kicking the field goal. If you do, then you're probably getting into the end zone. So those are four-point plays. And if they don't convert those four-point plays down in the red area, that's how you score 16 points. I, and look, I, I do think that they need to ramp it up a little bit. I'm not saying what they did last week was okay, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking about how they want to approach this. The other thing Bill Belichick wants to do is keep that defense on the field as much as possible, wear them out. The play, and, you know, we talked about Damian Harris's fatigue, so this didn't totally work out for them last week. But the play total, the Patriots ran 70, Miami only ran 52. Yeah. That's something Bill Belichick looks at and sees as a positive. So I think they're very okay. And again, I'm not necessarily, no. necessarily saying it's right or wrong. Gross. But I think they're very okay Gross. going on these, you know, 12, no. 13, 14, no. 15 play drives to take eight minutes off the clock and just three yards here, four yards here, three yards here, uh, five yards there. I think that they see that being the ideal offense for a rookie quarterback. And I think we're going to see a lot of it this year. Uh, I really am I wrong? Like, am I wrong? I I don't think you're wrong because I think that's their philosophy on it, right? right. I, that's, I, what I, that's what I'm telling you. I think that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick inherently believe that there is a major difference between third and seven and third and four, right? So even if they run the football on second and seven and gain three yards, they think that that's a positive, right? They say you know why? Four, I'll tell you why they think it's a positive, and it's going to drive you insane. Yes, it is. But here's why. Do you know what you, do you know what I'm going to say? I hope no, but I'm bracing myself. Okay, third and seven. On third and seven, you have to throw the ball. On third and three, third and four, the runs may be still there and the defense has to respect it. I think that's why. Because they would rather take a third and three where they have their whole playbook versus a third and seven where they have to throw. That's That, I think, is why they have that philosophy. <sighs> And I know Maybe. it's gonna drive you nuts because it just it drives me nuts because it drives me nuts because I and look I'm not sitting here this is not some indictment on the Patriots drafting or or ability to find skill players or any of these big overarching themes this is a situational play calling issue that I have with this team and the conservativeness with this team if you look at the top five offenses in the NFL last year right Tampa Bay Buffalo. Right, those were one two last year in terms of total yeah. offense and yards and things like that. Both of those teams threw the ball more than any other team in the NFL, and especially threw the ball on first and second down. They attacked. They are attack-minded systems, and the Patriots, with their conservative play calling last week, basically played to win that game nineteen to seventeen. Right? They they that's were what content. They're do. That's what they're doing. That well, that is a terrible strategy, especially especially in 2021. Football games. Good luck beating Buffalo 19 to 17. Good luck because I don't think you're going to be able to do it. 
I don't. And, and I don't think you're going to be able to beat KC like that. And if you get into a playoff game against them, I don't think you're going to be able to win a whole lot of playoff games, period, against good quarterback play in today's NFL 19 to 17. So my issue with it is that what first and by running the football and look, they ran the ball 27 times on first and second down against Miami and they only had a 33% success rate. So if they get that number up, right, that 33% turns what, into what was success, success in what success rate is basically, do you gain positive yardage on the play? Right. In terms of first and 10, a success rate of a hundred, like being successful on that play would be gaining half of the yard to gain to get to the sticks. Right. A third down success rate would be a hundred percent successful if you convert on third down because you have to get the total yardage. Right. So, five, so it's, it's how many times did they pick up half the total yardage they needed? Correct. Or okay. the full on third and fourth down. Right. So right. they were okay. on first and second down. They picked up half of the total yardage that they needed just 33% of the time. So if that number but, increases, then this is a little bit of a better situation. But here's right? what I would but, right. But here's what I would come back with if I'm looking at it from their point of view. How many times did they get at least a third of the yardage they needed? Because uh, that's what you have three downs. That's I am telling you, I bet that's how this they is look not at it. 1970, Alex. I, I'm not, I know, but I'm telling you, this is how this is how they look at it. They I know. see it as I this goes back right. to my theory that if you average 3.4 yards per carry on the ground, and this is in theory, this doesn't work in practice, but in theory, if you average 3.4 yards per carry on the ground, you never need to throw the ball and you'll score on every single drive because 3.4 plus 3.4 plus 3.4 is more than 10. You'll constantly pick up first downs and keep going. Again, that only works in theory. It doesn't work in practice. But this, to me, they, okay, they're my issue, I'm going to come down up. to the sequence of plays for the rest of time to just to, to make my point here. 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter against Miami, first and 10 from the Miami 21 yard line, three yard run to Damian Harris. Yes, it's all second and seven. Let me finish. Second and seven from the Miami 18 yard line, second and seven, an optimal, optimal attack the end zone down in distance. Three-yard run, toss play to Damian Harris. Now we're in third and four. And then what do they do on third and four? They roll the damn pocket out, and they throw the ball in the flat on a one-read pass to Jacoby Myers. They did not let – it's 17-13 in the game. You have 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Mack is rolling. He's completed eight of his nat- last nine passes to get you down there. And then they put turn around and hand the ball off to Damian Harris twice, get themselves into the third down, and the execution on third down is a little off, and now we're kicking a field goal. We, we talked about this on uh, the, the recap show. What was one of the things that Mac Jones was fantastic at at Alabama? Throwing the football into the end zone from the high red area, right? That from the 15 to the 25, throwing dimes down the field was Mac Jones's bread and butter at Alabama. They did it. They never, Alabama avoided the red zone because they're smart, right? They said, we're not going to get in here. We're just going to have Mac drop a dime to Devontae Smith from 25 yards out. I get the Patriots don't have Devontae Smith or don't have that talent gap that Alabama did, but they still have playmakers that can create down the field. They still have Johnny. They still have Henry. They still have Nelson Aguilar who played well in week one. Take a shot to the end zone. Take one shot. I'm not asking you to go first down, seven step drop, 
throw the ball to the end zone. Second down, seven-step drop, throw the ball. No, just one of those two downs needs to be a ball into the end zone. When you're down in the game in the fourth quarter, you have to attack. And they did not, and they tried to win the game 19-17, to and they almost did. They almost did. But the reason why they didn't, to me, was bigger than the Damian Harris fumble. It was because of the conservative play calling in the red area. And they did it on both of those final drives in the fourth quarter. And it ran. Yeah, no. And, and again, I, I agree with you, which is why when people have pointed to, to the red zone struggles and say, how can you say Mac Jones had a good game? They didn't do anything in the red zone. They didn't give him a chance. They didn't really give him a chance to get yeah. the play calling. But again, I, I'm just telling you how I think they see it. I think somebody somebody said in the chat, let me see if I can find it here. Do not if you yeah. bring up pace of game, I'm leaving. So do not no, bring somebody, up pace of game. No, here it is, here it is. If we're gonna be so conservative, it doesn't matter who TF is at QB. Yes. They are trying to rookie proof, rookie quarterback proof the offense. I think that's the exact point. Uh, well, I don't think that Bill Belichick. I'm not saying is, I agree with it. I'm not saying I agree with it. By the way, I, just, I, I that's what they're doing. I don't they're think Bill Belichick is saving is saving things for Week Four. The Patriots need to win football games right now, yeah. and I and I guarantee you that Bill Belichick is sick and tired of losing because Alex and I are also sick and tired of going to these games in over the last two years and watching them lose. And I'm sure you guys are all sick of watching them lose a lot of games over the last two years as well. So the Patriots need to be more aggressive and a 16 third downs isn't going to get it done and that kansas city uh afc championship game in 2018 everybody is always so uh, crazy about how good the patriots were on third down in that game right brady was 75 percent or something crazy like that on third down but one of the problems that nobody wanted to talk about was the fact that they were in third down 20 times in that game right because of how they were playing on first and second so you have that overtime drive, the three third downs is absolutely crazy, right? I mean, all three of those plays are just goats to goats, right? Just insane plays, but they sucked on first and second down that entire drive. And that's why they were getting into those third downs. But they were throwing the ball. They were throwing the ball. So it just shows you, you, but okay. So you'd rather them just throw and be incomplete. And now you're looking at second and 10 and third and 10. They're trying to move the ball. It's second and 10. Josh McDaniel's going to run a draw anyways. So just like, what's that going to gain, right? So it, all I'm saying to you is, is when you get into favorable down and distances, I'm not sitting here saying that when you're, you're, you're second and, and 10, that you should always throw the well, second and 10, you should always throw the football. But besides the point, when you're in favorable down and distances, right? you need to start attacking down the field and take some chances to get the ball in the end zone. Cause otherwise you're going to kick a whole bunch of field goals, which is what they ended up doing against Miami. Just second and seven from the 18 yard line should be an attack play, right? That should be an attack play. They had one earlier in the game that was a little bit further out. I think it was about the 40 yard line. It was second and two, right? Second and two from the 40 yard line is a shot play to every offensive coordinator on planet earth right that 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 is a perfect shot play because third and two is very easily convertible right so if you're getting into second and two the patriots are content with gaining three yards on second and two and keeping the chains moving right but what they give up on that is a chance to take the football down the field and and that's what you need to do to score points points and drives end in the end zone when you create explosive plays 
there are very few offenses, and this is what happened in the end of the fourth quarter against Miami. There are very few offenses that have the down-to-down consistency and execution to be able to go 16 plays and score, right? You're always going to hit into a landmine at some point. The third down play to Jacoby Myers was the landmine on that second-to-last drive. The fumble by Damian Harris was the landmine on the last drive. So at some point in time, you're going to run into an issue if you're trying to win games by driving the football on drives of 10 to 15 plays. That's why the great offenses in the league are the ones that hit the big plays, right? Buffalo, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. That That's See, why those offenses create big plays. But two of those three teams have elite quarterbacks. We don't know that the Patriots have that. I think we know that he's better than what they gave him credit for at the end of that game. I, that's fair. That's fair. It, look, and, and so that, that kind of goes to my point. You, you don't know until you know, and you got to find out at some point. I don't think they were super eager to do it in his first game, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, especially against that defense and that secondary. But you got to find out, and this is the perfect chance to find out because the Jets blow. So open it up and really see what he can do because you're not going to get a more preseason type of environment than you do against the New York Jets. So open up the playbook a little bit and, and, and see if Matt can hit some of those explosive plays this week, I think. But yeah, I've been telling you this about Josh McDaniels for years and you never um, wanted to listen to me. Yeah, because I get caught up and I'll, I'll admit this conversation, this rant has gone on a lot longer than I expected, but this is a lot better. It's a lot better than breaking down individual matchups against the Jets. Bums. Yeah. So because this is, you're right, because this is a big picture issue, right? Or a big picture right. theme, right? So I, I, the reason why I've always been pro Josh McDaniels is what our friend Tim Jenkins said to us a few weeks ago, which was when you watch the Patriots offense, the scheme and the goal of the plays all pretty much make sense, right? It all schematically is very sound and fits together. So you sit there and you say, okay, this is not Kyle Shanahan who's just – calling plays to get one on the offense, like Tim said. And this is not one of those offensive coordinators or those systems that makes zero sense. Like where, why, where are these guys going and why, right? You can explain the why watching Josh McDaniels' offense. That's why I like him. But his, I think this conservative issue is not just a Josh McDaniels issue. I think that this is a Bill Belichick thing too. I think Bill and Josh both are in lockstep and agree that they want to win these games 19 to 17. I think that that's how they truly feel like they should try to play these games. So I think that this year, that wasn't necessarily true in the past when McDaniels was still being conservative. I think it's a lot of these guys. It's, it's, it's LeFleur, it's Shanahan, it's McDaniels, all of these, you know, offensive, you know, supposedly big brain coaches who can design great plays. I love Josh McDaniels play design ability. He designed some great plays. It's his ability to, to recognize when to use the proper situation to use them. That is the issue, and it's the same with Lafleur, and it's the same with Shanahan, and it's the same with Stefanski. These that these coaches that we all hail as the next generation, even to an extent, Sean McVay, they can design these awesome plays, but then they use them in the worst possible situation. They cost their team games. That's yeah. just what they do. That's what they yeah. do. It's been happening for years. Defensive coaches have a much better understanding of game flow of situational football. It's why I think th- we're getting a much bigger topic here, but you're always telling me nobody wants defensive head coaches. Yeah. If your coach doesn't know how to manage the game, he can design all the great plays he wants. If he's throwing Hail Marys on third and three. Well, the issue the why nobody wants the clock, it doesn't matter. The reason why nobody, the reason why everybody's flocking to these offensive minded coaches is are two things. One, 
it's really hard to get a good play caller because a lot of the good play callers are head coaches, right? So if you have guy, you're looking for an offensive play caller, it's hard to get one of those guys when everybody that's a decent offensive play caller is a head coach. Well, guess what? None of them are good head coaches. You can get him back in two years and he gets fired. The other reason is that there's no, there's nothing more important to most teams than the quarterback. Right. So that's true. And they want these guys to develop quarterbacks. Right. You want the guys that can develop the quarterbacks. And the issue is again, that the really good ones at developing quarterbacks are head coaches. They're not offensive coordinators for the most part, except maybe Brian Dable in Buffalo is like the one example that still exists right now. And he's not going to be an offensive coordinator for much longer either. Ben is good too. Yeah. It's another good one, but BNM is sort of like what we talk about with defensive play callers in New England, how much of that is Andy Reid and how much of that is the enemy is still remains to be seen. But Brian Dable is probably the last good one besides the enemy as well. You can throw him in there too. And I would assume that both of those guys are going to be head coaches within a year or two. So that that's the issue is that all of the Shanahan's and McVeigh's and LaFleur's and all of these guys are now the head coach of their teams. Even look at uh, Nick Saranian in, in Philadelphia. He calls some plays under Frank Reich for a year and a half, and he's a head coach now. You know, and I mean, these that, guys haven't won anything. Yeah. They keep getting beat by the Belichicks and the Andy Reeds of the world. The guys who, look, Andy Reeds an offensive coach, but he's been around long enough. Look how long it took Andy Reid to learn how to manage a game. Yeah. Are you going to, if you're the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan, are you going to wait 25 years with him until he finally figures out that you run the ball when you're up in the fourth quarter? Are you going to let him keep costing you Super Bowls? Like, uh, how do we even get to this? Anyway, this is a good discussion though, because the Jets, we talked about the Jets for a good 40 minutes. The Patriots should beat this game against the, uh, beat the Jets, right? And and this is bigger than the Jets. The, The issue with McDaniels, and their play calling and their philosophy that winning games 19 to 17 is the way to go is definitely something that you get concerned about because I don't know. I, I, I think that that to me is, is a big picture philosophy that the Patriots have kind of had since even when Brady was still here. Right. I, I think 2019 yes. was, that philosophy, right, was that we can win all these games, not you know, twenty to seventeen, and Tom will manage the game and get us into the right because place late and get us out, uh, you know, over the hump in the fourth quarter, and we'll win eleven games, nineteen to seventeen. Because I'll I'll tell you why, and I wrote about this March twenty twenty after Brady left. I wrote about this that before Brady became a thing. When Bill was building the team when he first got here, you go back and you look at who he added in those first three off seasons before Tom Brady established himself as Tom Brady. All of his high draft picks, offensive and defensive linemen. He goes out, he signs linebackers. He signs Mike Vrabel. He signs Roman Pfeiffer. He signs Brian Cox, right? Big safeties, Otis Smith, okay? He goes out, he gets Antoine Smith. He was building that team before Brady showed up to be a run the ball, smash mouth, kill the clock, force turnovers, win on defense team. That's what he was building. Brady showed up and was the cherry on top. That's why the 0-4 team was so good. They were built to have everything but a passing attack, and then they got the greatest quarterback of all time. When Bill kind of realizes Brady's on the way out, what does he start doing? 
He drafts Sony Michelle, who is an Antoine Smith type. He drafts Isaiah Wynn. Okay. He goes out, he gets Trent Brown back. Some of the picks they made on defense heavily invest in the defensive front. He's picking up where he left off. And he's that's building all, the team he wanted to build. And that's all well and good, left. Alex, but this is not 2001 anymore. But the you have teams changed. winning like that in the NFL right now. Who? You have the Titans. You had t- the Titans, the Ravens, the, Titans, the Niners. The Titans are winning with play action passing. The, the Titans are winning with pushing the ball you down the field off play winning, action. You have teams winning with smash mouth ground games, strong defense, and net neutral quarterbacks. The Ravens are kind of their own thing. I shouldn't throw them in there. Even the Bills, before Josh Allen oh, popped God. off, the Bills might wait, be wait, a perfect who, comparison. Other than the Titans, who's really winning? And the Titans, are we sure they've actually won anything other than like winning they some They got some the AFC championship. They got some uh, AFC okay, championship. so they got there and participation yeah. trophies. What, what, who else has won that way? Who was the other, the other teams? Niners got to Super Bowl. The Niners, Niners should have won that Super Bowl, if not for what we talked about before with Shanahan. Right, but I think the one thing that I, I'm going to continue to point out about all this is, yes, in theory, those teams situationally made those runs with running game and defense, right? Like yeah. the, the NFC Championship game against Green Bay for the Niners Jimmy that year. Garoppolo threw the ball eight times. That's right. the fewest but that quarterback was, has thrown the ball in a conference championship in the modern era. But that was one game, right? That was one situational game. And they got there. But what what happened when they got to the Super Bowl? When they they were winning and then Kyle Shanahan decides to throw the ball down the field up two scores in the fourth quarter. What happens when they got to the Super Bowl? The team that executed their drop back passing game better won the Super Bowl. Point blank. If the Niners hadn't tried to drop back passing game and just ran the ball in the fourth quarter, they would have won. I know people say, all right, Jimmy got there and he couldn't make the throws. There was no reason to have him throw the ball. Kyle Shanahan I, I, forgot what I his team was. I hear you, but I look at I look at last year's Final Four and last year's Super Bowl as what on the whole is going to win out more than anything else. But, right? Okay, that's Tampa Bay, year. Kansas City, Green Bay, Buffalo were your final four last year. What do all of those four teams have in common? Four well, have three, a quarterback. Three of those four teams threw the ball were the top three teams in pass attempts last year. But th- okay, that's one year. Go back the year before. You have the Niners. You have the Titans. The Ravens didn't get to the final four, but they got deep. I'm not saying that you can't win like that. I'm just saying on the whole – you don't win like that as much in the, in today's NFL than, than what you did 20 years well, ago. So That's here's what the Patriots have that those other teams I named don't. They have Bill Belichick. They have a coach who will accept that identity and actually like put the team in position to win in that way. They don't have Kyle Shanahan. Hey, we're up two scores late in the game. Let's start throwing Hail Marys and not kill the clock. If if the, the Niners have a coach who accepts their running identity, they win that Super Bowl. Fair enough, I guess. Look, I it, it's I don't believe it, it's hard to buy into this kind of philosophy in 2000. I know it's hard. It's, it's because I know it is. I, I have I know so it is, much but... information that tells me that this is all wrong. Right. I have so much information now in my that I have I've studied so, and researched that tells me that all this is wrong. So it, it just. I don't know. It's an archaic philosophy in terms of what the NFL is at nowadays. For well, hang sure. on. So here's the thing. The NFL, as we know, is constantly evolving, right? We're and, and yes, from I would say up until, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, we were in that Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, throw the ball 50 times a game. You have to have an elite quarterback to win era. 
I actually think that era is coming to a close here. And I think you're seeing teams go back to a more balanced. I, I, here's what I think teams are realizing. If you can get Patrick Mahomes, awesome. Great. That offense totally works. That's fantastic. But I think teams are realizing that for every Patrick Mahomes, you know, you're going to get 10 or 15 Jake Lockers. You're going to get 10 or 15 Zach Wilsons, right? Et cetera. And it's more efficient. If you like, if you have a shot at that quarterback, go get him. If you're really rolling the dice, it's more efficient to build your offensive line, build your defense, get a net neutral quarterback and try to win that way because it's just easier to do who went. And, and here's, I'll, I'll give you some exa- an example of this. The Detroit Lions, and say what you will about the Detroit Lions, but the Detroit Lions took a potential franchise left tackle. Your example is the Detroit Lions right now. Took a, and, and you know what? They're not the only team that did it. They're not the only team that needed a quarterback with Justin Fields and Mac Jones on the board and took either a tackle or a corner or another one of those positions that's difficult to get, but you can build a, 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 a side of the ball around. Because they're now realizing the chances of a J.C. Horn or Penny Sewell hitting their ceiling are higher than the chances of a Mac Jones or a Justin Fields hitting their ceiling. And they're just going to try to get good players. And I think as teams realize that, we're going to move out of this era where every team is throwing the ball 50 times a game. I think the Ravens and the Titans initiated it because you're seeing those teams win without throwing the ball a ton. And I think other teams are going to start to follow suit. I think that that, you know... The, the, from you better if you're if you're going to do that. I think that era is coming to a close here. I think if it is. you're I think we're going to the next be, era of NFL football. If you are going to be the the Ravens or the Titans, then you better get yourself a Derrick Henry or a Lamar Jackson because the way the Patriots ran the football in Week One, and playing that kind of style of offense is not going to cut. That's, it, and look, right? I don't know that they have. They don't. They don't have. You know. I keep mentioning the Niners and the Titans. They don't have Kittle. They don't have Henry. You're right. Right. Kind of hope that that Hunter Henry maybe or Johnny Smith turns into that player, I think is the goal. But you're right. They're not totally there yet. But what I'm saying is I think that this, you know, we're entering here a new era of NFL football. I think the, the you know, NFL philosophy is transitioning it's just really hard. before our eyes. It's so really it, hard. it sounds archaic to you, but it, I think oh, it it's actually archaic. on the right. I think it's actually on which, it's you know, okay. it's all cyclical. It, you know, things come out of style. They come back into style, right? Short shorts. Look at short shorts. Short, nobody was wearing short shorts for oh 40 God. years there. And now all of a sudden, I can't get a pair of shorts that, that go below my knees, even though they're more comfortable. It, it, this is just what happens with styles. They come in uh, fads. They uh, come me, in and out. We, we got we got to sign we up. We got to jump soon, but this is a really good conversation. Okay, but let me end it on this. The, the issue that I have with this philosophy, with the way that the Patriots have built, if the Patriots had drafted Justin Fields, I would have said to you, okay, fine, run the football 40 times and let Justin Fields' legs be a factor and all this kind of stuff. You have a quarterback in Mac Jones who is a traditional pocket passer. He is not a factor in the run game, right? You are playing 10 on 11 in the run game. And to be a good running team playing 10 on 11, there you have to be dominant dominant run blocking like San Francisco was a couple years ago or what Tennessee has been with Derrick Henry you or what Cleveland has been with Nick Chubb right you have to have a dominant O-line and a really really good running back maybe the Patriots can have that and maybe they do have that and on paper it feels like they're going there but at the same time without that quarterback being a factor in the run game it's a lot harder to be able to do that 
right? To be able to be a dominant run team, like you have to be to play this kind of style of football. If you're going to play this kind of style of football, then you have to be historically good as a rushing team to win the Super Bowl like this. It's not, it's not 20 years ago where you could be, you know, a top five rushing team and just a kind of an average rushing team in the grand scheme of the NFL history books and win on that kind of style. Nowadays, if you're going to make a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, being a run first, lean on the run game team, then you definitely need to be dominant. And on top of needing to be dominant, you need a quarterback that can probably run a little bit too. It's really hard to do it without a mobile QB. I agree with all up until that last part. I think you need creative ways to run, and they have that in guys like Jonu Smith. Um, the rest of what you said, I, I think that that's what Bill's trying to set up. You go out, you trade for Trent Brown, you franchise tag Isaiah Wynn, even going back a year or two. You draft a guy like Michael Onwenu. I mean, those are decisions that are maybe less win, but you know, Trent Brown and Michael Onwenu, those are decisions that are made with the idea in mind that, hey, we're going to come out, we're going to be dominant running the football. Like I, I, and, and the other thing you forgot there, you need a dominant defense, which they do have. The defense is ultimately, you can't do this without a defense. Yeah. You can't, because even if you're great at running the ball, you're not going to score at the clip other teams can if they throw it. So you have to have a dominant defense. Yeah. And that's, that's what the Patriots have. So again, they're not perfectly set up for this. I'm not saying that there's a picture of this new NFL identity that I'm saying exists. They're not the perfect picture of it. The, the 2019 49ers really were, but they're they, that it just seems to be the path that they're on. So if that's the path that they're on, that's the path that they're on. And Alex and I will be back next week to break down Patriots Jets. We will see if the Patriots open up their passing game a little bit more against the Jets secondary. Uh, definitely will give up some big plays if they do. And we'll continue this conversation next week and break down if uh, Josh McDaniels is listening to me or listening to Alex. I'm, I think he's listening to Alex, and I know that he's listening to Alex. I just have to come to terms with it. But we'll be back next week to recap Patriots, Jets, and start to look ahead to the New Orleans Saints as well. Thanks so much for watching, guys, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass, for this podcast and more videos of the like, and we will see you next week. For Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.